so often throughout the course of history. Patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. And welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, filling in for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm excited to have a chance to sit and visit with you once again. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, there's, there is no shortage of things to talk about, especially thanks to a little announcement uh, made last week by uh, President Joe Biden announcing mandates. Oh, my goodness. Implementing mandates as part of a six-pronged approach to get control of this virus. Now, I know there are a lot of emotions that have been running high. I've talked to a lot of people in the last couple of days who are, I think, rightly upset with a politician asserting that, uh, hey, we're we're not going to do this to you directly, but we're going to go after your employer and we're going to make sure that your employer is the enforcer for making sure that you get the vaccine if you're not already vaccinated. But that's not the most disturbing part. And I think we all understand the most disturbing part is this frustrated parent kind of, well, you know, my patience is running thin with those of you who are unvaccinated. And I think, okay, it's it's time that we have a, a talk, maybe a little intervention is in order here. Nonetheless, I have heard everything from, you know, Grab your muskets to let's raise the Gadsden flag to what kind of a lawsuit could we file to possibly, you know, beat this thing back? And I'm not going to pretend that there's there's any one perfect way, but I think there are some approaches that may be better than others. Before we go after, how should we respond to this? And by the way, I've got a great response from Thomas Luongo, possibly the best one I've seen. I've been reading a lot of them in the last few days, so um, I'll ask you to consider what he's suggesting. But before we go there, probably a good idea to lay out what exactly it is that you and I are standing for, assuming that we're opposed to this. Some people are like, no, it's about time. It's about time we had a president in there who can do what needs to be done. I just wonder if they said that about Stalin. They say that about Hitler, Mao, any of the other dictators who, you know, did horrific things because it just had to be done. You know, I, I don't know for sure. But I'm thinking that they had people, their their uh, uh, sycophants who cheered them on and told them, yes, sir, yes, sir, you're doing the right thing. Well, let's let's start with the editorial staff at the Mises Institute. They're pretty tough to beat for a principled take on just about any issue. And their recent editorial about uh, Biden's at mandates is an accurate and a concise explanation of the principles that are at stake. So if you want to be sure of what you stand for, this is a good thing. I mean, there are plenty of parrots out there, you know, squawking bumper sticker slogans. You and I don't need to be those parrots. The Mises editorial staff says, we oppose President Biden's lawless 
and authoritarian new mandates announced yesterday. This was, of course, published last week. We also denounce his divisive rhetoric toward unvaccinated Americans, his reckless antipathy for federalism, and his threats to usurp state governors. Contra Mr. Biden, they said, this is entirely about freedom and personal choice. His proposed executive orders represent nothing less than centralized tyranny, whereby the federal government operates under no legal constraints. This is government anarchy. Kind of fun to be able to throw that word back in their faces for a change, right? The announced policies, including mandated vaccines for private employers of a certain size, I think that's everybody over 100 employees, mandated vaccines for all healthcare workers, and mandated vaccines for federal employees are wildly extra-constitutional and far beyond any executive power imagined in the Constitution. Now, of course, the same is true for OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, since its magical creation in 1971, and it laughably claims jurisdiction over working conditions across millions of private U.S. businesses operating on private property. Their point is that OSHA is just the bludgeon Mr. Biden intends to use against business owners to dictate their arrangements with employees by requiring COVID vaccines. Now listen, because this is an important principle. The Mises editorial staff says property ownership is defined by control. Ownership is a bundle of rights to the exclusive use of a prop of property. Biden's orders violate property rights directly by reducing the control a business owner has over the conduct of that business. And yes, this understanding of property rights applies in other settings, federal regulations on businesses, or even worse, executive orders from an individual president are simply a form of partial theft, a diminution, a diminution of owner's property rights. They are akin to stealing a percentage of a business. So legality aside, Biden's proposals are deeply immoral and unnecessary. COVID risks do not justify the hysteria emboldened by the president's announcement. After 2020, we know definitively that elderly and obese individuals are at the greatest risk of death from COVID, while younger, healthier people face no more and often less risk than an ordinary flu. Yet not only does Biden threaten to repeat the mistakes of 2020, he intends to intensify them. Markets and civil society can address health concerns far better than any centralized system. At most, state and local governments should act according to local conditions. And the Mises Institute editorial staff warns this will get worse if not stopped. Dr. Leanna Wen, a professor at George Washington University and a CNN medical correspondent, is an archetype of progressive demands for COVID policy. She urges Biden to require mandatory vaccines for all schools, all employers, all interstate travel by car, and all flights. She also urges him to create a national electronic database for proof of vaccination status. Now, do we really intend to forbid Americans from attending school or working if they disagree about vaccines? The implications of this are enormous, as are possibilities for a government database to grow into an Orwellian apparatus to track private citizens. No liberal society forces medical treatment on healthy citizens, nor monitors their movements or employment. No sane society accedes to sweeping new policies, not laws, enacted without due process and imposed by a centralized state. And no healthy society allows its political class to demonize whole swaths of the country while creating fear and division. 
Ultimately, this is not about the lethality of any virus, but about property and freedom. Society can deal with a virus, especially a virus with a very low mortality rate. But no utilitarian arguments are necessary. The principles involved are not situational, they do not scale, and we cannot submit to an ever-growing medical police state or crazed executive actions simply out of fear. If we do, it will not be easy to undo the new normal. Mr. Biden, they say, our patience is wearing thin with you. So that's a pretty good enunciation of the, the principles that are at stake. I would say that's a good starting point. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I think most people who heard Biden's remarks or have at least seen a summary of his remarks realize, wow, that guy threw down the gauntlet. In fact, he threw down several gauntlets when he announced sweeping power grabs and how his patience is running low and we're going to make him do this, we're going to make him do that. For those who won't obey, a lot of people have responded to that speech, but I think Thomas Luongo's recommendation is among the most worthwhile that I've encountered. And his response is, he says, quietly say, no to Joe Biden's call for civil war. Now, as I was looking through the Twitter verse over the weekend, I did see a lot of people say, wow, looks like uh, Biden is choosing civil war. And, and I don't think people are using that term, you know, flippantly. It's not, you know, Captain Marvel versus uh, Iron Man. This is, these are people who are seeing what's going on and realizing we're being pushed and pushed into a corner. And the people who are doing the pushing know very well that there's going to be a point where the American people are going to say enough and we're going to put our foot down. In fact, I think they're really counting on us doing it. They want their Fort Sumter moment so that they can claim victimhood and claim that mantle of innocence. Oh, we didn't do anything. All we were doing was our job and these people resisted us and were violent. And yeah, they'll cry big crocodile tears, kind of like they did back on January 6th, which they insist on describing as an insurrection when it was nothing close to an insurrection. How do we know this? Well, take a look at what happened in Afghanistan about a month ago, and you'll have a pretty good idea of what an insurrection looks like. A successful one at that. So, just, you know, little little uh, contrast and comparison here. It doesn't look good for the narrative. I want you to hear what Thomas Luongo has to say here, though. And I, I appreciate, he, he can be a provocative writer, But he owns it right up front. He says, look, I burned a lot of bridges in my life I didn't intend to. To describe me as volatile and opinionated is a kindness. On the best of days, I'm barely fit for human consumption. Looking back, my life can best be described as a series of bad first impressions interrupted by moments of social competence. And he says, this happens not because I don't care about what people think or feel, but because I care too much. I see too much. And in my zeal... I put off people when all I want is for everyone else to see what I see. So he says it's been a hard-fought lesson to learn that confrontation is not only a poor persuasion technique, it's aggressively counterproductive. And he says, I'm still working on this. At the same time, however, those that know me well know that when I'm confrontational, I'm engaged. I'm negotiating for a different outcome, albeit doing it badly. And he says, all my uh, Italian flamboyance and bombast isn't anger, it's frustration. Now, in print, it may be funny or inspiring, but in person, it's simply scary and rude. But he says, I've mellowed with age, certainly. 30 years of marriage to the greatest woman in the world will teach you a few things, even old dogs like me. But he says, there's always a limit in every negotiation. There is a moment 
when all the frustration melts away and becomes anger. Cold, hard, implacable anger. The energy to negotiate dissipates because there is no possible solution. Thomas Luongo says, in this respect, I'm just like my dad. We knew the bombast came from shock and processing the situation. However, when he was most disappointed with me, when I felt the most regret for what I'd done, was when dad was speechless. Now, in the months leading up to the 2020 election, Thomas Luongo says, I was negotiating in my writing months of articles and podcasts detailing my anxiety, pleading with the Davos crowd not to do what they ultimately did. Don't go there, I kept saying. You don't understand what comes next if you do. And on election night, they went there. He says, I wrote about it. For weeks, this is from his article, for weeks I've been saying I hope Trump's performance is strong enough and his coattails long enough to preclude the Democrats and the Davos crowd from trying to pull off the theft of the election. That they would see the magnitude of the problem in front of them and be stopped short by little things like math. And then realize that even if they did try and cheat, it would be so transparent that nothing good for them would be gained by it. But they didn't listen. Now back to his current article, he says they didn't listen. Pulling off the theft only emboldened them to push harder. Their plans to destroy the world and build back better wouldn't be stopped. They were on a roll. They just pulled off the biggest psyop in history with COVID-9-11. That's his term. And now they've just stolen the most important election in the world. Even if they had private misgivings, in poker terms, they were what's called pot committed. That's clear now they truly felt they could bully the pot with their immense stack of chips. But he says, my horror on election night was brief. Alone, staring at my screen in disbelief. I very quickly went from shock to anger. And then he says, I got very quiet. This is from his previous article. He says, around 2 a.m. Tuesday evening, I realized they were actually going to do this, and I texted a friend the next morning. His response? Civil war it is then. Now, Tom Luongo says, my friend got very quiet as well. And since then, a lot of conservatives and libertarians have gotten loud because they still think there's room to negotiate. He says, I told us then to become ungovernable. And not wait for the vaccines. I burned bridges publicly confronting those who didn't see what I had saw. What I saw, had we done the right thing, then we wouldn't be here today. Then on January sixth, Trump made the strategic error to have them express their frustration at the Capitol. Davos used that to their advantage. In fact, many of these people are still being held as domestic terrorists who were at the Capitol on January sixth. After another eight months of rolling out their biomedical terror state around the West and systematically silencing all rational and some irrational opposition to it, they pushed another big stack of chips into the pot. Last week, Biden told the world he'd run out of patience with those unwilling to take an experimental gene therapy. His words exactly were, What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've been patients, but... patient, but our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. Oh, my word. Biden's speech and mandates, says Tom Luongo, are an open call to the very thing I said right after the election, civil war. He's trying to radicalize the unvaxxed to become violent, to push back at the bully pushing them. Now, these are the words of a bully and a tyrant, no doubt. 
They're also the words of a senile old man overseeing a decrepit den of soulless, emotionally stunted vampires terrified of losing potency. They are ultimately the ravings of a group of oligarchs so saturated with their own power and decadence that their actions now look more like the tantrums of spoiled, narcissistic children rather than sober and competent managers of a society. Since they are acting like children, he says, we should treat them as such. They believe there are rules for thee, but not for me, which is anarcho-tyranny. Biden played the exasperated parent card with this patience-is-thin rhetoric. He's appealing to those still terrified by a shadow play on their tablets and screens to scapegoat the unvaxxed and have half the country turn on the other half. But it played to the growing contingent of quiet men, like a geriatric emperor of ice cream barking orders at a funeral for a society that has grown cold and dumb through abuse and neglect. And so Tom Luongo says, Biden is a senile old man, corrupt and useless, and clueless rather. He's unfit for purpose and unfit to rule. He's illegitimate, incompetent, and incoherent. I can list his attributes all day long, but it won't change anything, so what will? Okay, this is the part where you want to listen closely, because he's got a good idea here. Tom Luongo says, bullies are always daring you to throw the first punch. They need to justify their next act of violence against you. Meeting their violence with violence is acting out of frustration. They want us barking. They want us reacting to their false reality. Don't. They've fed off our outrage. Now, he says, starve them with our silence. See, there's nothing they can threaten us with. These edicts are hilarious, desperate, and unenforceable. All their power, all their strength is irrelevant in the face of angry men who simply say, No. That big pile of chips on the center of the table, that's an opportunity, not a barrier. There are a thousand ways to beat a bully by not giving him what he wants, control. This isn't about the vaccine. It never was. The only public health crisis now is a public mental health crisis. The people who've been broken by the COVID-9-11 terror campaign have their own issues to work out. They can be forgiven for their terror, But it's time for the grown-ups to talk. The children can be excused from the table. So the opposite of their hysteria is needed. They don't need a punch in the mouth. They need therapy. No more negotiating with facts. They're immune to facts. What they're not immune to is a quiet, dismissive, if not exasperated, no. The kind of quiet disappointment my father used used to shame me into maturation. And Tom Luongo says nothing will drive them more insane with rage. Calm, assertive statements of purpose. No histrionics, no court challenges, no media conferences, no marches on the Capitol. Like they're trying to create the illusion of by seeding the idea into the media. That's what they want you to do. Then they can justify to the self-righteously vaxxed, well, see, you deserve these internment camps. You are the terrorists. Tom Luongo says, just exude, no. Because their only recourse then is more violence. And every act of violence delegitimizes them further. Biden declared war on 80 plus million Americans and threatened governors of sovereign states with intervention or removal. If the federales come to Tallahassee, Governor DeSantis should quietly meet them with force and arrest them. 
The supremacy clause in the Constitution is irrelevant when the government is in violation of the Constitution. Biden tried to light a fire under the people who've screamed for three generations, my body, my choice, health care is a basic human right, and keep your laws off my body, hoping they would be his brown shirts and torch our society, rather than face the ugly truth of their hypocrisy. But what he did was made a whole lot of people get very, very quiet. The rage of those self-righteous hypocrites will not be slaked until they burn the COVID-9-11 heretics at the stake because they cannot accept responsibility for their emotions. They have to pour their vitriol and envy onto us because they can't face their evil. So, for example, instead of arguing basic uh, universal basic income is socialism, even though it is, we should simply counteroffer with, nah, we should be funding universal basic therapy for you. <laughs> He says it would be far cheaper and a price I would gladly pay at this point to keep my society civil. These same people think Oregon should erect trade barriers with Texas over its abortion law, while believing Biden can force people to share their medical history with any random person who asks for it. And Thomas Luongo says, these people aren't worthy of your time. They are abusers and blasphemers, braggarts and bullcrap artists. And they've purposely broken our society because they can't face the man in the mirror, covering him up with an embroidered mask to salvage what's left of their individuality. So he says, our task for now is shining a light on this, not in anger, but in pity. For decades, they mistook our silence for assent. It is past time we disabuse them of that notion. Just like we should pity our senile emperor of ice cream for thinking he's the president and that anything he says carries the force of, well... Anything. Now, I'm curious what your reaction might be to the idea of, what's this? We don't march on the Capitol. We don't march on the state capitals. We don't hold loud and raucous uh, demonstrations in the streets like we've seen happening in Europe. And I get it. It does send a message. I mean, when you see hundreds of thousands of people in the streets of Paris or of London or any of the other places, uh, Germany has had its demonstrations. Yeah, that sends a pretty strong message. However, has it caused any of those governments to back down? If you've seen the video footage, you know the answer. No, they just send more police. They send, you know, they send horses into the crowds to knock people to the ground. Dogs are being used on people who are protesting. It's an excuse for the government to flex. Why? Because people are getting rowdy and they're getting out of control and they're angry and possibly getting violent. I agree with Thomas Luongo. I think there's something far more powerful in simply invoking the word no and not offering any explanation beyond that. Maybe as a parent, you can understand this. Have you ever had a kid who, when you tell them, hey, you can't do this or I need you to stop doing that, sits there and just howls, why, why, why? Like you need to explain to them, you know, I want you to spell this out for me. Tell me exactly why this has to be so. I mean, it's, the, the kid may be demanding an explanation, but more than anything, they're just trying to provoke a reaction. And sometimes the best thing you can do as a parent, and I say this in the idea that government works for us, not the other way around. It's there to serve us by guaranteeing our God-given rights. Sometimes the best thing we can do is tell it no and remain silent and just resolutely go about living our lives as freely as possible and defying peacefully wherever we possibly can. I know it's not as dramatic 
And it probably doesn't feel quite as cathartic as the idea of, and, you know, and then I'm going to get in their faces and I'm going to tell them exactly what I think of them. If you allow yourself to become angry, you're giving the bully what the bully wants. The bully wants that reaction, exactly that reaction. There's something terrifying, though, about a person who simply says no and does not explain themselves further. That silence actually speaks more powerfully than, you know, all the slogans chanted in unison and flexing that uh, you can think of. But I do agree, it's time. It's time to say no like we mean it. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Hail my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. AmericaOutloud.com Simply put, we're patriots who believe in Ronald Reagan's vision of a shining city on a hill. From sea to shining sea, you can listen in on iHeartRadio. Our free apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa, or our world-class media player. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Once again, welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, filling in for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. All right. I wish I wish I could say that I've just got some good news for you and ever all of your troubles are going to be over and you're going to feel a sense of peace and relief that the heavy lifting is done. But 
If you've been paying close attention to current events, you know that's not the case. And if you're a lover of freedom, if you are a truly a disciple of liberty, you understand that uh, in every age, it falls upon uh, those who understand and are willing to live the principles and practices of liberty to, uh, to keep it going. It's not going to perpetuate itself. That seems like a heavy responsibility. Frankly, I believe that we're trained starting from an early age, say, oh, I don't know, about age five, to start thinking that, well, that's somebody else's job. I mean, we, we just had the observation of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And for a lot of people, that uh, created a very strong, renewed interest in and support of the military. And I'm not suggesting, you know, you should hate the military, you should boo or spit on them when you see them. No. But I am going to suggest that uh, the military oftentimes creates a, or is, is used as a prop by those in power to bring the populace behind them. So look at all the different sporting events that feature things like, you know, a flyby from the Air Force or otherwise, you know, displays, here's a military rifle precision team, you know, out there, you know, twirling their rifles and whatnot. It's all very impressive. And, and frankly, I'm not saying it shouldn't stir, you know, uh, some patriotic feelings. But when people are exposed to this as, well, this is an expression of patriotism or this is the highest expression of patriotism, it can actually blind us to those instances in which institutions like the military are misused. And, and case in point, okay, it's, it's tragic enough that to back at the end of August, we had 13 U.S. military personnel killed in a suicide bombing attack in Afghanistan as they were trying to help other people who were getting ready to flee Kabul. But within a couple of days, the Biden administration launched what they call an over-the-horizon, you know, strike on who they said was the leader of that uh, that attack. That's the official version. We're not supposed to question this. And yet people who do question such things and want to see, do, do the facts really line up, have uncovered a very different story. And it looks very much like, uh, okay... So they certainly blasted somebody with a uh, drone strike. Somebody caught a Hellfire missile for his trouble. But it's looking more and more like it was not some operative for ISIS or for Al-Qaeda. And more like a dad returning home from work and his seven kids running up to the car to say hi to him at the moment that they all got blasted. I mean, that's a pretty big oops. But, you know, hey, when you're government, you don't really have to say that you're sorry. Now, I know it's it's easy to say, well, you know, they shouldn't hang around people who could be mistaken for a terrorist, or you shouldn't shouldn't hang around, you shouldn't bring your kids into a war zone. I think that was actually the, the direct quote from one of the Apache pilots in a Collateral Murder, which was uh, really what launched uh, um, Julian Assange onto a lot of people's radar screens, as well as uh, formerly Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, into, uh, you know, the public eye. Do you feel proud, though? I mean, to, to know stuff like that. I, I understand. Fog of war. Oh, we make mistakes and that kind of thing. Doesn't change, though, what it's like for the people on the other end of that uh, that Hellfire missile. And and I'm just I'm not asking you to renounce your citizenship or if you love the military or if you are, you know, if you've served in the military to otherwise feel like, oh, it's all just a waste. But if you can put yourself in the other person's shoes, and I understand that's hard. But if it was your family that uh, suffered the loss of seven kids 
because of an errant missile strike when some other nation was trying to get some badmash who they thought was there in the vicinity. Would uh, would an explanation with a little bit of a shrug, well, you know, stuff happens, can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, would that be a good enough explanation for you? Would that suffice? Or would it fill you with a terrible rage and a resolve that I'm going to avenge the deaths of those innocent people who in no way deserve to be killed in an attempt to get somebody else? It takes me back to, oh man, it's, it's been, you know, 30 years or more. I guess it's coming up on 30 years next, next year. The uh, Ruby Ridge incident in northern Idaho. Remember this? Randy Weaver, persuaded by federal informants. Hey, I need you to saw off the barrel of a shotgun for me. No, just a little bit shorter. Just a little bit short. Take off just a little bit more. Okay, that should do it. So about an eighth of an inch too short by federal law. And that was enough for the feds to come swooping in, tell him, we want you to be an informant. We want you to tell us all about the Aryan nations. Even though he wasn't a member, he lived in proximity to people who were members. Basically, they wanted him to become an informant. Randy told him to pound sand. Then they gave him the wrong court date for when he was supposed to show up for his, you know, alleged a tax evasion charge for not uh, filing for a $200 tax to create a short-barreled shotgun. Long story short, the federal marshals decided they would play Rambo, dressed up in their camo, got to, got their war face on, and were out there surveilling the uh, Weaver family's property on an Idaho mountainside. And Weaver's son, Sammy, as well as their friend Kevin Harris and the family dog, happened to discover one of these marshals who was hiding somewhere on their property. And I don't know how it all began, but essentially somebody shot the dog. Sammy shot at the federal agent, or, or maybe it was Kevin Harris who shot William Deegan, the federal marshal. Um, Sammy was killed as he was turned and running back to the house. And then the whole Ruby Ridge thing swung into to play. We had a you know a standoff with the FBI surrounding them. Vicki Weaver was shot and killed by sniper Lon Horiuchi the next day. Kevin Harris was wounded. Randy was wounded. Why didn't a jury find him guilty of murder? Why, why was Kevin Harris exonerated? Actually, he was acquitted of charges of murder. A U.S. Marshal shot dead right there on the property. The jury would not convict. Look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make the case that lawlessness is good, but I'm saying the jury understood something there. They understood that the government was who put this in motion. They were the ones who set this series of unfortunate events in motion and then tried to pin it all on the Weaver family. Now, I'm bringing this up because Jerry Spence was the attorney who took Randy Weaver's case. He represented him when that case went to trial. And I remember after, after Randy Weaver was... Uh, was acquitted. I think they, I think they caught him for failure to appear. So he served a very small time in prison. But then the government paid his family millions of dollars basically to shut up and go away. Yeah, 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 we killed your wife, we killed your son, we killed your dog. We ruined your life, but here have a few million bucks. Don't ever talk about this. So I think it was Tom Brokaw was was interviewing Jerry Spence. And as as Jerry Spence was recounting what had happened to the Weaver family. 
Tom Brokaw made some comment about how, well, it sounds to me like everything just somehow got out of control. And I'll never forget Jerry Weaver's or Jerry Spence's response when he said, would that be good enough for you if it was your family? It just somehow got out of control. So when I when I ask you to consider maybe, you know, this drone strike, which allegedly killed the mastermind of the suicide bombing three days earlier in Kabul, but actually killed a family and other innocent people who had no reason to be killed. If that happened to your family, would it be good enough to just explain, well, they were trying to get somebody who did something really bad, and it sucks that your kids were the ones who were there in the line of fire, but that's just how it goes. I mean, it's, I know, for some people it's going to sound like, man, Brian, you are hating on America. Really, what I am hating on is inconsistently inconsistency in principles. And when the government of my beloved country acts that inconsistently and creates victims and creates destruction and death where it doesn't need to happen, why should we be surprised when people react violently? That's not to excuse the 9-11 attacks. But there were plenty of warnings that were given, you know, ahead of time. Pat Buchanan, running for president in the year 2000, talked about the bombings in, uh, where was it, Tanzania and Kenya? Remember the embassy bombings, 1998? He said, is this what it's going to take to, to wake up our, our government leaders to the cost of, of uh, gamesmanship globally? Or, he asked, will it take a terrible cataclysmic atrocity on our own soil to show us what the price of being the world's policeman is all about? In fact, he says America stands at a crossroads. She has one of two destinies she can choose. She can be a peacemaker in the world, or she can be the world's policeman and go around night-sticking troublemakers until she finds herself in a brawl so big and bloody that she can't handle it. You know the really crazy thing about this? Osama bin Laden, who is alleged to be the mastermind of the 9-11 attacks, said that by doing the attacks the way that they were done, the U.S. would destroy itself, would destroy its own freedom. And I remember, you know, the assurance of George W. Bush, who, by the way, spoke over the weekend, essentially equated the people who were at the U.S. Capitol with Al-Qaeda. I think he says they are both children of the same foul spirit and must be confronted because they defile our national symbols. I mean, some of us figured out which side he was on a long time ago, but for those who are new to, to the party, welcome. Yep, now you realize it's, it's a big club. You and I aren't in it. Bush was part of the problem clear back when the war on terror began. But if you look back at what's happened in the 20 years since the September 11th attacks... All you have to do is ask this simple question. All of the trillions of dollars spent, all of the military might flexed around the world, all of the lives lost, the people displaced, the the material destroyed, are we even as free as we were on September 11th, 2001? Or are we less free? How would you answer that? I can tell you from my vantage point, We are not only less free, but decidedly less free. And it pains me to think that Osama bin Laden may have actually been the better strategist. But if his goal was to get America to spend itself into oblivion, to destroy its own freedom, 
to actually turn on its own citizens? Yeah, I think uh, I think he may have accomplished exactly what he set out to do. Pretty crazy stuff. So what can we do? I don't want to just give you the problem and then say, okay, so there's the problem. Now it's yours. <laughs> Deal with it. I think there is plenty that we can do, but I don't think that politicking harder or even politicking smarter is going to do it. I think what has to happen is something along the lines of we have to collectively say no and turn our backs, withdraw our consent from those who presume that they have the power to rule us. That means you live your life as freely as you can. You cut whatever corners you can to avoid their regulations, avoid whatever mechanisms they have in place to try to keep you accountable to them and keep you in line. Yes, I'm fully aware that that means, well, gee, I mean, I'm, they might throw charges at me. They might. After all, you're defying them. But how determined are you to be free? You know, the founding generation, there were lots of things the king decreed. You will do this. The colonists will do that. And uh, there was a point where they finally said, you know what? You're no longer our king. They declared their independence and they said, we will govern ourselves. At that point, the king came after them with force. Actually, he did that before they declared independence. But that was the that was the catalyst that set things in motion. April 19th, 1775, that shot heard around the world. It came because the king and his armies sent men to confiscate the arms, the powder and ball, basically the munitions of the colonists. The colonists realized at that time, you know what, we, we can't abide this. And they fought back. And it wasn't official for almost a year later, but when it was official, there was no guarantee they were going to win. But here's the thing that they had, and this is, this is the thing that you and I must have in our time. The colonists had moral clarity. That doesn't mean all of them were on the same page. Only about a third of them, as I understand it, actively supported separating, seceding from Great Britain. But there was moral clarity as to why they were right to do so. I guess that's the thing that I see lacking today is, you know, not that many people seem to have the moral conviction to where they they understand very clearly, you know what? Joe Biden may be president, but he cannot command me or command my employer to do this or do that or else. I know OSHA is going to issue fines and they're going to do things. Can I just tell you a quick story? This is from about, about a friend of mine who has moral clarity. Obviously, I'm not going to name him because I don't want to bring undue attention on him. But back, uh, when was it? It was back early on in the lockdowns. He had an OSHA inspector come to his place of business. He runs a, a profit, profitable business. I don't know how many employees, not 100 employees, but it's a pretty big, pretty profitable business. And when the OSHA employee or this OSHA inspector came and said, I'd like to have a look around, you know, get to get a feel for what's going on here. This is when masks were being mandated and so forth. Just making sure that you guys are keeping all the rules. My friend, in a moment of inspiration, asked, well, um, thanks for coming by, but do you have a warrant to go looking around here? And the OSHA inspector said, well, no, I don't. At which point my friend says, then I have... Uh, no further dealings with you, and you're free to go. And with that, he turned them away. Now, he still smiles when he talks about how good it felt to turn this OSHA inspector away and send them on down the road. 
no, run along. We're just going to continue doing business. That's the kind of backbone that we are going to need to see. And I guarantee you, not everybody's going to have it. Some business owners are going to be intimidated. Maybe they're facing pressure from the state level. Maybe they're facing it from the federal level, you know, via OSHA. There are plenty that are willing to knuckle under. I'm sad for that, but that's their choice. And I'm, I'm not going to, you know, rob them and mandate, you have to do it this way. That's just as tyrannical as what the other side is demanding of them. But there are also businesses who will not yield so easily. I think about the gym owner in New Jersey who kept his gym open in spite of all the orders. You have to shut this down. You have to shut it down. You got to shut it down now. He wouldn't do it. And yeah, he's been fighting court battles. He's been hit with all kinds of fines. He's also become very famous and his gym has received a lot of really good publicity. But we need people who have that backbone and you and I need to be the kind of people who will step up and support them. I mean, I'm, I'm envisioning something of a uh, health equivalent of the Underground Railroad in which the unvaccinated can still get the essential services and, and commodities that they need to live productive lives. Because it seems like the, the noose is tightening in some ways and, and, and the loopholes, if you will, are being closed to try to keep people from, from living their lives freely until they get the, the vaccine, until they've complied. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm totally okay with uh, dealing with the black market. I'm totally okay with working with a barter economy. Out of sight, out of mind of all those bureaucrats running around with their clipboards thinking, ah, this clipboard and with these rules, I will rule the world. I will make sure there is order in this world. Well, good luck with that. Because the rest of us are going to find ways to work around you. Now, look, there are some things I can't change. As far as I know, um, I have probably taken my last airplane flight and will not be taking another one anytime soon. The masking requirements I could almost live with, but it's to the point now where the, the airlines themselves are so authoritarian. I mean, your two-year-old child took his mask down because he went to take a drink. That's it. We're turning this plane around. We're landing and the police are taking you off the plane. And you're banned for life from flying on this airline. I mean, that does that not seem like a, a you know, commensurate uh, response to a two-year-old struggling with a mask? See, in the, in the eyes of some people in these airlines, that's apparently what, uh, that, that's what passes for. No, that's normal. That's good. That's, that's just. I don't buy it. So hopefully you've been working on building your networks of people who you really trust and really know. And you got to be careful with this. You know, if there's, if there's a new movement, if there's something new, I promise you there will be federal informants and agents provocateur and people who are working for the FBI that will be there as a part of it. First of all, to monitor, but also to suggest, hey, what if we take this one step further? What if we were to burn down this or that? You know, they're, they're suggesting things that are, that are definitely illegal and immoral. Hopefully, you and I have been doing our homework, though, and we know the people, and we've surrounded ourselves with people that we have long-term friendships with, that we can trust. And, and when I say trust, I mean like trust with your life. If you don't have those kind of relationships, 
I'm going to suggest that uh, that would be a very good thing to develop. Of course, you've got to be the kind of person who can be trusted when the chips are down. You've got to be the kind of person who isn't going to take advantage of or exploit people just because they're up against the wall. But we're very much in a position where we are going to look a lot like the resistance during World War II, you know, operating, you know, in the shadows as the Nazis consolidated their control over most of Europe. And by the way, I don't even feel bad using that comparison. The attitudes translate extremely well to what I am seeing in the uh, bioterror police state that is, is taking shape in front of us. In fact, in some ways, given the technology that's at their disposal, this could turn out to be worse than anything the Nazis foisted on the people who were under its control. Who do you know that you could trust at a moment's notice to drop off your kids at their home if if there was danger? Who do you know that could be trusted to keep your kids safe and keep them out of the hands of authorities. I really believe this is one of the places where we're going to see pressure applied towards parents. Well, if you don't get vaccinated, we gotta, or if you don't let us vaccinate your kids, we're going to have to take them away for their own safety, for their own protection. I think that's coming. Ideally, you should have friends in pretty much every direction of the compass that you could turn to in a pinch. And we're not talking about the kind of friendships that are built in a matter of days or hours. We're talking about the kind of friendships and family relationships that, you know, have have been forged in fire. You've been with these people through good times and bad times. You know you can trust each other. I understand how, how apocalyptic and spy novelish this sounds. And yet, I'm convinced that this is actually something that may be necessary. I think I may have told you about uh, the uh, support group for liberty that uh, some friends and I created a few years ago. And if I haven't, then I'll ask you, pull up a chair, and, and I'll just give you an idea of how something like this could work. Because what we saw was something very remarkable. And, and I want you to know, this didn't happen just overnight. Several friends uh, and I encountered each other at a, at a meeting called Know Your Liberty. It was presented by a wonderful patriot by the name of Stephen Pratt. Unfortunately, he passed away almost uh, nine years ago. Wonderful man, very knowledgeable about liberty, the principles and practices of liberty, and, uh, and a, a big use, utilizer of the heuristic way of teaching. In other words, he didn't just tell you, this is what you need to think, this is what you need to know. He would show you the source, he would show you the principle, and then tell you, now go study this for yourself and see if what I'm saying isn't true. In other words, he actually encouraged us, suss it out for yourself. After one of these meetings, one night, he pulled several of us together. I think there was maybe eight of us, and he said, look, um, he goes, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, it's important that you guys get in the habit of learning how to carry the torch of liberty. So he says, I'm going to recommend you guys get together on a regular basis. He says, you are my sons of liberty. You should get together on a regular basis and teach one another. And he gave us opportunities where he was doing presentations to get up and give short presentations that were part of, you know, his overall presentation. Very good experience of learning how to to fit a message for a particular crowd. But it was those meetings, those weekly, or actually they were um, every other week. So 
semi-monthly, you know, twice a month we'd, we'd get together. And I understand this sounds so clandestine. Early on a Saturday morning before the sun came up, we would meet at uh, one of the guys had an office that had sufficient space, and about eight to ten of us would get together, and we would discuss matters of liberty. Now, the way we went about this, I'm convinced, had a lot to do with the success that we later saw in, in what we were doing. When we came together, we would look and see how many people there were. Okay, there's eight of us. We've got two hours marked out here. We're going to divvy this up. Fifteen minutes. Each person has 15 minutes to present their message. They can go short if they want to, or they can yield their time to another person if they want to. But everybody was expected to come with something to contribute to the group's understanding, something you had encountered, something you had been studying that week. Now, this is the important part. In fact, I think this is the essential part. Every meeting that we held began with a prayer. And I don't just mean a perfunctory, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub kind of stuff. We knelt and prayed and asked God that our efforts would amount to something. In fact, specifically, we asked to, to make us instruments in his hands. And we ended each meeting the same way. Sometimes people would discuss, um, you know, various uh, spiritual things. You know, if someone had their scriptures, they'd talk about this is something I was reading. I just wondered what you guys thought about this. There was no hierarchy. There was no, you know, uh, chain of command that we followed. It was just friends who got together on a regular basis looking for the opportunity to be of a good influence in our communities. And we came from a number of different communities at that time. I mean, we had teachers. We had uh, doctors, we had a police officer, we had builders, we had ranchers, we had a very interesting collection of people. But as we did these meetings, in the dark of the morning, you know, (laughs) in the the warehouse side of town, you know, our shadowy clandestine meetings, it didn't take very long before we could feel that sense of purpose starting to, to distill on us. And I remember making the comment to the group one time, do you guys feel what's happening here? Do you feel how things are are beginning to gel and come together? Zoom ahead a couple of years. Within a couple of years, we had some of our members who successfully ran for and served on city councils or county commissions. Others just simply created, um, you know, their own classes that they could go out and teach in their community. Every one of us found some way in which we could influence the cause of liberty. And it's really important that you, that you understand this part. God was an essential part of that. At every step, we were trying to do it um, as, as God would direct us to do it. It was remarkable what we saw happen. And the influence that we had in our communities was undeniable. Those of us who didn't run for office nonetheless found ourselves in a position where those who were in office would often call us up and say, could I get your take on something? And they may not agree with us, but the fact that they were willing to call and ask, what do you think, is a pretty good indicator that they saw us as people who were wielding some kind of influence, and hopefully good influence. So that's what I'm going to suggest to you. Have you created a support group for liberty? Because if you do that, if, you, if it's something that you could come together with like-minded friends 
teach each other. Just divvy up the time, teach each other. Um, I can promise you this, if you seek God's help, this goes a whole lot easier. And I bet you'll be shocked at what you see that, that comes from it. Now again, it took us a matter of years to really start to see the, the effects of what was taking place. But I'm convinced that this kind of thing happening on a broader scale, quietly, out of sight, out of mind for most people, there was, there was no big political splash. It was just people who were concerned, seeking God's help, and then earnestly applying themselves to try to be a solution to be the person who could point to the solution rather than just point out the problems, you know, and, and hoot from the sidelines. I was astonished with what I experienced, but I'm telling you this because it was just as real as could be. And if there was ever a time where we needed a similar approach, I think this may be it. So give it some consideration and see if it makes sense for you. And if it doesn't, that's fine. You know, there are people who need to work in other areas as well. Maybe we'll get the right person elected. Maybe not. Anyway, thanks for hearing me out on this. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network.